I love that today is Pentecost Sunday. And if you're not churchy, you're not a part of the church, that's okay. In fact, I'm glad you're here. But uh, Pentecost, uh, this word pento means 50. And um, back in the Old Testament in Exodus, you see these group of people crying out to be uh, delivered from slavery. The Israelites were held in slavery by the Egyptians, and God does something called Passover, where he leads his people out of slavery, and then 50 days, true story, you can read it in Exodus, 50 days after slavery, they uh, end up worshiping another god. They end up worshiping an idol. And so much so that 3,000 of those same people who were delivered out of slavery ended up dying out of disobedience to God. So here's the lesson we take away. They wanted to be delivered, but they didn't want God as Lord of their life. They wanted the benefits of God, but they didn't really want God to lead them. So now let's fast forward to when Jesus dies on Passover on a cross. 50 days after Jesus dies on Passover, what do we have? Pentecost. In the original Passover, 50 days later, 3,000 people die. When the Holy Spirit shows up, baptizes 120 believers, they begin crying out in these languages that they don't understand what they're saying. It's called tongues. The crowd is hearing their native language spoke, and they're saying, what's going on? Peter, who just went from denying Jesus 50 days earlier, filled with the Spirit, gets up, preaches the gospel, and that day, how many people come to Christ? 3,000 people. 3,000 died when it first happened. 3,000 were saved in the New Testament. I say that to say this. God is a God of redemption and moving people from death to life. There's nothing that's considered too far gone or too far lost, but here's the deal. I'm opening with that today because where I'm preaching today, you see the same kind of concept found in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke 17, and if you brought your Bibles, you can open up there, and I have to give this preface before we get into it. I love the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke's emphasis as a writer, which by the way, Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. He was good friends with Paul, did life with Paul, was on journeys with Paul. You know what I love about Luke, though? The dude was a doctor. And here's what I love about doctors is they're detailed. They're in the details. So if you ever open your Bible and read the Gospel of Luke, you're going to get all these details about Jesus, all these unique details. And the emphasis in Luke was that Jesus is man, is that he's man. And if Jesus could live a certain way, that it was possible for humanity to live like Jesus. So where we're going today is Luke chapter 17. I've titled this message, Cry Out. Cry Out. Let's go right away in Luke 17, verse 11. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, which by the way, Luke 10 through 19, is all the dealings of Jesus headed towards Jerusalem. He's going to die on a cross uh, towards the end of 19, but he's journeying towards Jerusalem. And it says, he traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. 
He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Were not all ten healed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Today's message is titled, Cry Out. Isn't it interesting how God gave us all voices, but there's something different about a loud voice? A voice that cries out, it moves things, it shakes things. Here's an example. Um, I hate boredom, okay? If I'm bored, I will immediately try to find a way to have fun, okay? And my wife and I, we go grocery shopping together every now and then, and we go to Aldi. Give it up if you love Aldi, if you're an Aldi shopper. It's a great place, great place. So my wife, we have this game plan. You watch the kids, put them in the shopping cart, and then I'll do the shopping. Sounds easy, right? Well, it's boring to sit in a shopping cart. So what do I naturally do? Don't even think about it, just do it. I'm the dad in Aldi that has his kids in the cart and push them and start running and jump on the cart and then ride the cart down the aisles. That is me, okay? That is who I am to a T. Well, funny experiment, speaking of crying out, I hear in another aisle another set of parents with their kids and this kid in the other aisle is crying out in bird noises. And I hear the parents trying to tell their kids, stop sounding like a bird. Stop doing that. Well, I can't sit there and not join in. <laughs> so I literally start going, call, call, in the other aisle. These parents are trying to get their kids to stop calling in Aldi. And these kids in the other aisle hear me. And they begin to go, call, and now my two kids are cawing with the other kids in the store. Now I've created a movement of birds in Aldi. They're all crying out, caw, caw. It's crazy how there is movement and action that follows a cry. That follows something of a crying out. And in reality, we live in a world that is groaning and crying out all over the place. And the greatest disease that is killing so many people isn't COVID and is not the previous diseases that have hit our world. The greatest disease that destroys mankind is this disease called sin. When you hear the evangelists who have a scandal and fall away from Jesus, it wasn't a disease, it was this disease called sin. When you hear of people who end in divorce, it wasn't because they didn't set out that way, it's because sin, some point along the way, entered in and broke apart, which was a covenant. When people die of sickness and disease, that goes all the way back to the original disease called sin. The greatest disease that kills more people than anything else in the world is sin. And what we're going to look at in Luke 17 reveals two things. It reveals something about you and I, and it reveals something about the character of Christ. And I believe today's message is going to really help us in the times we're living in to live how Jesus wants us to live and to be like Christ. Number one, if you're taking notes, we all need to be healed. We all need to be healed. Look at verse 12. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Ten men who had leprosy. Ten men who had leprosy. In this exact story, every single person in this text is sick. In other words, all ten need to be healed. Who are we in this story? 
but we are all like the 10 lepers in need of being healed. Let me break this down real quick for you to understand some context. Leprosy, if you had leprosy, you were considered to have divine judgment against your life. That you sinned, that your parents sinned, that you did something wrong. And so in turn, what that meant is God was judging you because you had sin in your life, which means you were sick. And this process of having leprosy, they would have to go before a priest. You can read about it in Leviticus 13 and 14. They would examine you, and if they found disease on you, this is what it meant. Immediately, in that moment, when a priest says you are unclean, it means your marriage cut off from your wife. It meant your, your, your family and your children cut off, can't see your kids. The place of worship, the synagogue cut off, can't go in the synagogue. This disease didn't just mean a physical sickness, it literally meant an identity shift overnight. This disease corrupted, it messed with your identity. Now, the only people you could be around were sick people. And here's what's crazy about leprosy, is it starts out with maybe a, a, a skin change, kind of a skin-looking pigment change to the skin, but here's the deal. Leprosy eventually attacks the nervous system it can come to the surface of your skin, and it can create ulcers or this pus-filled scabs that start coming out, smells horribly. It can impact your vocal cords where you start sounding raspy and hoarse. But here's the kicker. Leprosy can so damage your nerves that it allows you to be numb to all pain. And the worst destruction from leprosy were their own self-destruction that was bought on themselves all because they could never feel pain. What does this sound like? It sounds exactly like the disease called sin. So much sin in your life gets you to a point to where you are numb and sin always destroys you way further than what you thought it first could when you let it in your life. Don't we see this all the time? One hint of pornography all of a sudden, that started innocent and found, now all of a sudden can grip a man and grip a woman. So much so that the amount of porn you watch now has made you numb, that you have to shift into alternative viewing to be able to feel some sort of high. This is exactly the description of an addiction. Do you realize how an addiction forms is the dopamine that's released in your brain. It sends all these receptors that are amazing, that are great. But how an addiction forms is you need more and more of that drug to be able to release the same feeling of dopamine. And when dopamine is so intensified, they equate it to a loudspeaker having the volume being turned down. So you need more of the drugs to try to get that same high that you first felt. And it always leads to death. I was just with somebody last night who told me in a matter of a month, both of his family members were lost to alcohol. It's this disease. And the Bible's really clear. I'm not pointing out anyone. I'm pointing to myself. The Bible's really clear. There was ten lepers in the story. They all needed to be healed. But here's the deal. All of us need to be healed. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. All of us were born into sin. All of us know what it means to sin, to have sin issues. And if we're not careful, sin could so easily devastate that it does more than just an addiction. It does more than just a destroying of a family. It can literally take someone's physical 
life. We all, all need to be healed. I still today am working through dynamics of my own family upbringing. Watching a dad leave a mom and divorce my mom after 17 years of marriage. Watch drug abuse and alcohol rip apart a home. Watching sexual immorality and affairs destroy my family. Watching cancer within one year of a divorce try to destroy my eight-year-old sister. I have watched firsthand the effects of sin and death in my own home. And to this very day, there's not a day that goes by where I don't need the healing of Jesus Christ. We all need to be healed. All of us. And not just that, but number two, we all need to cry out. We all need to cry out. But where does it say in verse 13, they stood at a distance. They had to stay at a distance. They couldn't come close because if they touched somebody, that disease would transfer and the person they touched would become all of a sudden unclean. And so they stand at a distance, this was common practice, and they called out in a loud voice. I love how scripture says a loud voice. They're screaming, they're crying out with their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Master, Jesus. By the way, the only time you see this Greek word for master is only found right here in the Gospel of Luke. It's this Greek word called epistes. Don't miss this. This is what the word meets, means broken down to its literal root. It means this. Master means someone who shows up on the scene that is greater than me, that is full of honor, and has the authority to change my chaos. So when they're crying out, this is what it sounds like in the original language. Jesus, you can change me. Jesus, you can save me. Jesus, you can heal me. In that moment, all ten are crying out with the voice saying, it's you. You have the power. You have the authority. You're greater than we ever could be. We recognize you are Christ. Have pity on us. See, here's the deal. We all are crying out you might be thinking, no, I'm an introvert. I'm not a loud person. I don't really cry out. Your crying out might not be with your voice, but it might be with your fingers. It might not be with your voice, but it might be the bottom. All of us are crying out in some form or manner, but here's the deal. It all matters who you are crying out to. It matters all who you are crying out to. And the responsibility on our life is not the outcome. Our responsibility is merely with our voice to cry out to Jesus, to cry out to the master, to cry out to the one who can change a situation, who can make chaos peaceful, who can bring things that are out of order and see it come into order. We're just called to cry out and cry out to Jesus. Have you noticed, have you ever done a word study on cry out? Before I ever wrote this sermon, these words cry out were jumping off the pages of scripture. Cry out, cry out. 
And from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, you want to know what you find? You find humanity that cries out to a God who needs to show up and save. And every time humanity cries out to God, you always see God respond to humanity. It's like the very character and nature of God is to respond to the heart cry of his kids. How about the Israelites? God, save us from the Egyptians. God, save us from, from, from Egypt, from slavery. How about Hannah? God, I can't get pregnant. God, I want a child. God, save me. God, give me a son. God, have mercy on me. From the Old Testament to the New, what about the blind beggar? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops in his tracks, responds to the cry of the destitute, responds to the cry of the broken, and Jesus comes humbly and says, what do you want me to do for you? We're called to cry out. Ten lepers, sick, crying out. A persistent widow, crying out. The apostles, crying out. The early church, crying out. It's this overwhelming theme of humanity in their brokenness saying, God, save me. And what kind of cry does God respond to? But he doesn't respond to the religious person who says, I'm really glad I'm not like that person. I'm really glad I'm not like that evil person. I'm really glad I fast two days a week and I give tithe every Sunday. Jesus doesn't come for that person, but he comes for the sinner who beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on my life for I'm a sinner. I can't even look you in the eyes. I can't even stare at you because of how messed up I've been. Jesus always responds to the cry of a contrite heart and spirit of a broken heart and broken spirit. And who you cry out to matters. What prevents you and I from crying out? What prevents you and I from ever crying out? Here's what I think. I'm, let's pretend I'm Jesus and you are you. Sometimes what steps us, stops us from crying out are these walls that we've built up in our mind and our hearts. And one of those is fear. Fear. And over 365 times, God tells us, don't fear. One for each day to remind you, don't ever let fear from stopping you crying out. But how many times in the Gospels do we see people that knew the truth, but they said they were afraid of the religious leaders, so they never told the truth. They never cried out. Fear keeps us locked in. If not fear, the other wall that can sometimes enter our life is this thing called wealth. What does wealth do? It allows us to trust in our money versus trusting in God. It allows us to put wealth at the forefront. Wealth is our God. Look, here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with riches and being rich. Nothing. But where it does become wrong is when wealth becomes your master. Because Jesus said you cannot serve both wealth and meat. you got to choose one. 
but wealth becomes our default. A pastor in Africa said, we see way more miracles in Africa because you guys have so much money in the West that you never cry out to God and you're never desperate and you never see the miracles we see in Africa. We don't have the wealth, but we see many miracles because all we have is Jesus. All we have is who God is. Maybe the wall in your life are idols. Low-key, put idols here instead of distractions because distractions was too big to write on the board. Same thing. Distractions. Idols in our life stop us from crying out. Too busy to cry out. Too much going on to cry out. Too much on my plate. Other things that are more important than crying out to Jesus. Maybe it's pride. No, I'm good. I got it. I'm all right. No, it's kind of awkward using my voice to cry out to Jesus. It's kind of weird. And so pride stops us. Pride was the greatest blinders put on the religious leaders that could never see Jesus as the Messiah because in their opinion, they knew the way. They understood the path. But it pride allowed them to never cry out and never see Jesus. No, I'm good. And this is the one I think we wrestle with the most. We never want to let someone in. We never want to let someone into our healing process. We're too afraid that we'll be judged. In fact, so many people, the greatest lie they believe is all Christians are our hypocrites. And they feel like they could never step in because their brokenness is too great for a good Christian. Pride. What about doubt? Well, if I cry out and if it doesn't happen, if I cry out and I don't see the miracle, then we allow doubt to fill our mind. Let me help illustrate what crying out looks like. The other day I was at a park, and as I was sitting on the bench, I was just checking my phone, and as my son was playing on the playground, I heard my son cry out, Dad! Dad! Dad, help! My son was at the top of the playground hanging with both hands. Dad, help! When my son's cry hit my ears, I chucked that phone. I ran to my son, and I rescued my son. You better believe when a heavenly father hears his own kid cry out, he quickly and immediately comes to you and rescue and saves you. We all need to be healed. We all need to cry out. But here's the big so what to the whole message today is this. Many want God's healing, but few actually want Jesus as Lord. Many want the benefits of God, but few actually want commitment. In this story, you notice how all ten are walking together in a group. They're side by side. All ten are healed in a moment. Why didn't all ten come back? Why was it just one? All ten were healed, but only one came close. All ten were healed, but only one wanted the person of Jesus. All ten were healed. One places God at the center. The other places you at the center. Oh, I'm good. I got what I need. Oh, I don't need him anymore. Now I'm cleansed. Now I can go see my wife and my kids. Now the priest will de deem me clean and healed. But one actually wanted the person of Jesus. This is the whole point of Luke. You want to know what the key verse of Luke is? Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? 
why do you call me master and Lord? But you don't submit to me. You don't do what I say. This is the whole point of Luke. This is what Luke is trying to get at. And this story right here represents this exact point. You want the feel goods. You want the healing. You want the forgiveness. But you don't actually want Jesus as Lord. When Jesus is Lord of your life, it means you no longer are the leader of it. But now you find out everything Jesus has to say, and you say, I want to do what you say. I want to live how you want me to live. I want to submit myself to you. You say, blessing comes to those who do what I say. I want to be blessed so that I can be a blessing to others. For someone who gets the healing but doesn't want Jesus, they never make an impact in anyone else. They never make a difference in someone else. Why? Because it's always been about them and never been about Jesus. Many want that. Few want Jesus as Lord. Maybe you're one of those nine who've walked in the room where you're good if you feel good after a message, but the rest of your week doesn't really matter, doesn't line up. I have one simple challenge for you today. It's this. Let your life cry. Let it be Jesus. Let Jesus be your life cry. Let Jesus be the reason you wake up in the morning. Let Jesus be your purpose. Let Jesus be what you meditate on during the day. Let Jesus be the one that comes out of your mouth when you hit the pillow at night. Just say, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. One said, came back worshiping, praising, and thanking Jesus. When Jesus saves you, your life cry becomes Jesus. It says at the end in verse 19, it says, rise and go, Jesus said. Your faith has made you well. When we read this story, we think, yeah, he got his healing. He's well. No. In the original Greek, this word rise and go, you're well, it literally means this. Salvation has come to your life. Salvation. Where are the rest? The rest got a healing physically. But they did not receive a healing spiritually. One experienced salvation. Nine experienced his power. It's possible to know the power, but actually not know Jesus as Lord. It's possible to receive his mercy, but never actually let Jesus be Lord in your life. Let your life cry be Jesus. Here's a quick example. Is my son, they made a video for Mother's Day. You saw the video if you were here for Mother's Day. My son clearly has a life cry. It's not his mother, it's his dad. You want to know why? Here's why. Take a look at this video. Favorite thing about mommy, what does he say? Daddy. When your life cry is your dad, no matter what the question is, do you love ice cream? I love daddy. Do you love snack time? I love daddy. When your life cry is someone like Jesus, your responses are filtered through who you love. I, I, I think one of the best ways to illustrate this is I drop my son off in the gym and, and my son has this propensity. This is what he does when I drop him off. True story. Packed gym, full of kids in the room. This is what he does. I'm about to leave. Dad! Daddy! No sense of tone or volume, like his father. He gets that from me. No sense of tone. Dad! Daddy! 
Hey! I turn around. Yes, son. I love you, Dad! I love you, Dad! That is what it means to let your life cry be Jesus. I love you, Dad! Thanking him, praising him, worshiping him, that what's on your mouth, I love you, God! I love you, Jesus! Today hurt. Today didn't make sense, but I love you, Jesus. Today was frustrating, but I love you, Jesus. Today was horrible, but I thank you, Jesus. When your life cry is Jesus, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in a gym, you could be in a workplace, you could be at home with your family, but your life cry is Jesus. Be like the few who want him as Lord and leave the outcomes to Jesus. Are you saved or are you just wanting his power? Is he Lord of your life? Are you doing what he says? Or do you just want the benefits with no commitment?